Hello, Steve Miles with Financial Planning Ministry. Brian and I are inviting you to a seminar. This seminar is on estate planning and it's August 13th at 3 p.m. here at the church. You'll find out how to save your estate sixteen dollars to $60,000 simply by avoiding probate. You'll learn the importance of guardianship in protecting your children from the foster care system should that need arise. The seminar is here at the church at 3 p.m. on the 13th. There's no cost and there'll be no fee for preparation of your estate plan. If you already have a plan, oh, please come because at the least you'll get a refresher on estate planning on why you did your estate plan to begin with and maybe if it needs an update. So August 13th, 3 p.m. here at Academy Christian Church. No cost, but it does require that you register. So go to the Academy Christian Church website and you can register there. Blessings. Welcome those that are over at our Westside campus. Uh, good to have you with us and glad you're a part of our church family as well as those that join us online. We consider you a part of our family as well. And I'm kind of wondering today, would, would it be okay? Would it, would it be okay if I if I bragged on my wife a little bit today, would, would that be okay? Yeah. Uh, thank you. I, I, really, I really should brag on her a lot more. Honestly, she's one of the best pastor's wives I have ever come across. Uh, she, yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, she, she loves Jesus. She loves people and she loves the church. It's really kind of the trifecta of what makes a great pastor's wife. And on top of that, she loves me too, which is just extra, extra bonus. Well, the reason I want to brag on my wife today is because of her thumb or her, her thumbs, uh, which are about as green as green can be. She really has this incredible knack for helping things grow. Now, of course, she takes good care of them, but honestly, she makes it look so easy because she does it so well. In fact, I brought a few pictures of her handiwork, and really because she's such a green thumb, what that means is our backyard, these are pictures of our backyard, it is a variable paradise. Now, I gotta say, in spite of how amazed I am at my wife's outstanding horticultural skills, I really can't even begin to, 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 to grasp how such intricate plants and how such beautifully colored flowers come from what? Dirt, soil. Have you seen dirt lately? I, it's just it's kind of dirty. <laughs> uh, and so when I think of that, it's beyond, it's beyond my comprehension. But so really is the concept that we're gonna address over these next three weeks, which is how God is able to do such amazingly beautiful things with the simple resources that he's provided uh, for us. Traditionally around here, you need to know that August has been the month where we address everyone's favorite topic. You're gonna be so glad you came today. We're gonna talk about money and stewardship. And I'm guessing that there are plenty of people in this world who believe that Christ followers are really blooming idiots for how they give their money and resources to support the kingdom of God. Now, I say that to set up our theme for this series, which is one simple word, the word bloom. And when I say the word bloom, what I mean in the context of this series is this. Bloom is doing beautiful things with your God-given financial resources. 
And God actually entrusts us with wealth. We have to do something with it. Uh, blooming is doing something beautiful with it. Now, just in case uh, the lovely flowers, just as in the case of the lovely flowers uh, that God really provides, it's God who does the incredible things, the beautiful things, but you and I have to be willing to cooperate with him and follow his plan and follow his design. And that's what we hope to cover over these next few weeks. Now, I certainly did not come up with this blooming series on my own. Someone else did, but I'm pretty sure that it's It's ultimately God's creative idea himself, because really this bloom analogy is consistent with a lot, I mean a lot of biblical imagery. Now you've heard of red letter Bibles, that's where Jesus' words are in red. I discovered in studying for this that there's actually a green letter version of the Bible that highlights all the instances of God's care and concern for his creation. And it shows in many ways. But I don't think I'd ever really made the connection before. But just one example of this imagery that we find in the Bible is that the Bible both starts and ends in a garden. Have you ever thought about that? You read the book of Genesis and you're in a garden. You read the book of Revelation and you're in a garden. And isn't it interesting that when the day arrived for God to create his masterpiece, the most important thing he ever created, uh, his whole purpose for actually creating the world in the first place, here's what we're told about that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says, then the Lord God formed man from what? From dirt. I think he did a pretty good job. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now, I don't know when you hear that, what you think, well, that sounds kind of far-fetched. Honestly, when I look at the way we're designed, how incredibly and intricate we are, it makes a lot more sense to me than the Big Bang Theory. But another example of this imagery would be that there's many, many agricultural and plant analogies in the Bible. We see it in the Bible. So there's gardens and plants and horticulture and growth processes. They're just a steady, reoccurring theme in the scripture. And one great example of that would be how the book of Psalms literally starts. In Psalm chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, it says, blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. And here we go. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do actually prospers. And then even Jesus, Jesus told numeral parables uh, that had gardens and fields that were a part of it. And so Jesus would often include simple everyday gardening examples in his teaching in order to help his listeners better understand important spiritual truths. And so his parables, remember, they included examples of, of sowing and harvesting, of garden laborers, wheat fields and fig trees and mustard seeds and vineyards and vine dressers and fruitful trees and barren trees and seeds that would grow on their own as well as seeds that die but then come back as living plants. And just like my wife, all gardeners know that God designed it so that growth is actually a natural result of a healthy plant. All plants and gardens have a growth agenda that permeates all that they do, which I believe is also a part of God's design for each one of us. And so with that backdrop of bloom, we're gonna try to answer the question, what's the blooming idea? Can you tell I'm gonna say that as much as I can today? What's the blooming idea behind stewardship? And so we're gonna start today, and I wanna encourage you to bloom, and bloom simply because you were planted 
which really equates to having a purpose, a meaning for your life. Now, let me ask, uh, whether online or, or present here today, if you're not physically with us today, raise your hand, if you're not physically with us. Now, hopefully, doesn't, anybody doesn't raise their hand. You're, you're here physically, and what that means is, what I want you to think about, you were planted by God. He created you, and he gave you life and a purpose, and the impact of the purpose of your life probably won't ultimately be known until actually your life on this earth is finished here. Now, the next week, uh, we're going to encourage you to bloom how, how you particularly were planted, and that really equates to design. God had a design with every one of you, and all of us is a one-of-a-kind original. And then the final week, week three, I'm gonna encourage you to bloom, of course, where? Bloom where you're planted, which really equates to contentment. As far as I know, none of us got an opportunity to choose when we were born or where we were born. That was up to God. And there are many things in life that we just have to say, hey, this is where God has placed me, and so I need to bloom where I'm planted. Now, because every year we talk about this subject on stewardship, a lot of people might be wondering, why do we talk about stewardship every year? Like every couple of years, wouldn't that be good enough? Well, first of all, I want it to be clear that we talk about stewardship uh, not because your pastor wants a raise. We don't do it for that reason. I heard about one church where the leadership board was meeting to discuss uh, the pastor's compensation for the coming year. And after the board meeting, the chairman of the board had to go to the pastor and say, hey, we're so sorry, pastor, but due to some budget constraints, uh, we won't be able to give you a raise for this coming year. Uh, To which the pastor replied and said, oh, but I, I really need that raise because I'm, I'm just a poor preacher. And of course, the board chairman said, yeah, yeah, we know that. We listen to you every Sunday. <laughs> I, I want to point that out, really, that it's not really that unusual to actually bring up the subject of money. I, I, it doesn't really bother me, but that's because actually people, people talk about money regularly. As you can imagine, a study was actually done and they found that 75% of people ages 18 to 34 will talk about money every week, 75%. Now it drops a little bit for 35 to 54, 66% of them talk about money every week. And then it drops to almost half of people ages 55 and older who talk about money every week. Still, you might be saying, why do we talk about stewardship every year? Well, part of it has to do with the fact that uh, repetition is the motor of learning. Did y'all get that? Repetition is the motor of learning. And as you know, I've told you before, part of my role around here is to be the CRO, the chief reminding officer. And so I'm gonna remind you, and many of you today, you're gonna be reminded of what you already knew. This will be familiar territory. Uh, In fact, I gotta be honest, it feels a lot like I'm preaching to the choir when I get to talk about stewardship, but I still would hope that for you, it would be a good reminder. It would remind you of the principles behind it. For others, it could also be familiar territory as well, but it might be for something really for you that you haven't actually taken to heart yet or put into practice. And so hopefully this would be an opportunity for you to take that step. And then there's probably some of you here today who are like, wow, I hadn't heard that before. That's, that's incredible. And I gotta be honest, this may be a bit of a challenge if you're a new believer, but please just try to listen with an open heart and an open mind because it can make such an amazing difference in your life if you'll commit to it.
Now, it's interesting to me that neither, neither Jesus nor the apostles ever hesitated to talk about the topic of money and its importance uh, for our gospel efforts. And the Bible's clear concerning the significance of money and how it can actually be uh, an indicator of the inner person. But if we're not careful, it can also become an idol and even a hindrance uh, to people's faith. Now, with that as a backdrop, I actually want to provide you with four good reasons why we talk about stewardship every year. Reason number one, whether you decide to be a good steward or not, (laughs) you're still a steward. You remain a steward. None of us in this room today really are owners. Now, we think we own stuff, and especially in America, man, in our culture, private ownership is very serious in our country. However, I gotta be honest, every Christ follower needs to recognize the limitations, and there are limitations of this ideology, and that's why it's sometimes helpful to do an ownership reality check. And so we're gonna do one of those this morning, an ownership reality check, and here is the ownership reality check. When you were born, besides your birthday suit, what else did you have on you? I don't think probably anything else. You didn't bring anything into the world. And not to mention, when you depart, how much of all that you've accumulated in this world do you get to be able to take with you? Nothing. And you know, we're reminded that Job, uh, the, the guy in the Old Testament that we read about his story, and he had so much stuff, and he lost it almost all at once. But Job, Job understood the whole stewardship thing, and so after he learns that he's lost everything, remember what he said in Job chapter 1, verse 20? He said, you know what? Naked, I, I came from my mother's womb, and naked, I'm going to depart. I'm just a steward. The Lord is the owner, and the Lord gave, and the Lord's taken away. May the name of the Lord be, be praised. Now, it's interesting to me, the Apostle Paul says essentially the exact same thing, but in a slightly more modest way in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. He says, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. And for a long time, when I would preach about stewardship and I would mention those verses, I would say, isn't it true that you never see a U-Haul following a hearse? <laughs> and then this picture shows up on Facebook. And I said, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ever going to use that illustration ever again. But <laughs> Reason number two why we talk about financial stewardship, our, our financial situation tends to fluctuate. I mean, it changes. And so well, we need to address it at different times because we find ourselves in different places. You know, I, I think it's interesting. Forty years ago, when I went to the first church that I served right out of Bible college, I was making a five-figure income. <laughs> $13,000 a year. That was before taxes and with, without any benefits. Now, if I gave the same way as I did 40 years ago that I do now, there'd be a problem with that because things have changed. And sometimes what we notice is that income may increase, but our giving doesn't automatically increase. And studies continue to reinforce the fact that the, the sad truth is the more people have, the less they tend to give, which is kind of the opposite of how you might imagine it to be. Third reason why we do stewardship series every year. Godly stewardship is beneficial for you. It's actually good for you. In fact, in your sermon notes today, there's this little thing that says, uh, put a check beside each uh, of the things below that you would enjoy. How many of you would like to have more joy, more physical health, uh, greater purpose in living? 
uh, avoidance of depression, personal growth. Uh, you know, it's been shown that these benefits, those benefits are really just healthy side effects of following God's plan for your finances. But really, the fourth reason to me is one of the most important, and that is that stewardship is one of the most important ways that you actually experience God and stay connected with him when you understand stewardship. A few years ago, we had a, a guy that was a member of our church moved up to the Denver area. And when he moved, as it often happens, he had a hard time finding another church uh, where he could connect. And so he wrote me an email one time, and here's what he said in the email. He said, I've continued to make my offering to ACC. He says, sadly, I find I'm prone to bad habits. Now, giving is something I need to do to remind myself of how blessed I've been and how thankful I should be. He went on and said, it's amazing how not writing that check seems to make me forget. But doing it has the opposite effect. Go figure, he said, God knows what he's doing. Now, I, I gotta be honest, when I talk about stewardship in the church, I know it often sounds like I'm trying to take something from you or get something from you. I am not. I'm actually really trying to give you something which is the amazing experience of trusting God and then experiencing his amazing provision in your life. And when you do, I guarantee you, it will happen as God often does in ways that you could or never would expect. And I can guarantee you, you'll never, you'll never end up with less. You'll almost always end up with more. It's a lot like last week, how I talked about a humbly serving other people is kind of counterintuitive. Well, so is putting God first in your finances. And it really is true. It really is true. 90%, living on 90% with God's blessing equals way more than 100% without his blessing. Now, sound impossible? This is the preacher up here preaching. I'm gonna take a little bit of risk because I have every service. But I know we have some people sitting out here today we don't have to know how much is given, but I know there's some people who regularly, faithfully give to God, sometimes a tithe, sometimes more. And what I wanna ask today, if, if that's been you and you've, you've been a faithful giver to God and you have seen God provide for you in amazing ways, I'm gonna ask you to take a stand. And I'd like to ask if, if that would you if, you, just, if you just stand today, if you said, hey, you know what? I've tithed and I've seen God do some amazing things. And I wanna do that today because at every service, there are all these people who say, you know what? I, I try to put God first and I've seen God do some amazing things. Thank you, you can go ahead and be seated. But just look at the people uh, as you're sitting there. These are people who have followed those principles and they've seen it happen. And I can promise you that if you if you will trust God in this area, you will see him show up in your life in ways that you never saw coming. Now today, I wanna to talk about bloom because you were planted. And when we talk about bloom because you were planted, what that means is you are not here by accident. You're here on purpose. You didn't just show up in a random way at a random time. You're here on purpose. And I would say one of the most helpful perspective improving passages of scripture I've ever come across is Psalm 139. And what I would encourage you to do personally is sometime later today, curl up with your Bible and spend some time just reading through Psalm 139 and, and let it remind you what God knows about you and what he's done for you. But I want us to focus on verses 13 through 16 because notice what it says there. The psalmist is, is responding to God and says, God, 
You are the one that created my inmost being. You are the one who knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And I try to think about this psalmist guy who was writing that, you know, a couple thousand years ago. Well, today, because of modern science, we really know how incredibly, wonderfully, intricately we are made. See, what you and I understand today that we didn't back then is that when you were born, God linked up 23 chromosomes from your dad and 23 chromosomes from your mom and came up with you. And then he goes on and says, hey, my frame, God, was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes, they saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were actually written in your book before one of them came to be. And so folks, bottom line, that should remind you that you are here in this moment on purpose. And because of that, I just want to remind you that life is not a dress rehearsal. There isn't like a practice life and then a real life. This, this is the one life we get to live on this earth. It's not a practice run. Now, I realize when you're sitting there thinking that, you're thinking, well, my life's not really what I was hoping for. And so I got to really share with you this morning what I would call the honest truth. Somebody else wrote this, and I thought it's so true. They said, nobody can do your life for you. You have to do it yourself. Whether you're rich or poor, whether you're out of money or raking it in, whether you're the beneficiary of a ridiculous fortune or, or terrible injustice, you have to do it no matter what is true no matter what is hard. So when it comes to stewardship, I'd like to just offer to you five steps you can take to bloom as a steward. Really simple, and we'll wrap it up. Number one, you gotta start with addressing the heart because it really is what's most important. When it comes to stewardship, the question is, where is your heart? Because the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. It's what we place our affections on. And Paul was real clear with Timothy. He said, hey, the love of money is actually a root of all kinds of evil. If you're more in love with money than you are with God, there's gonna be a difficulty there. Now, I wish, I wish, I wish I could tell you that I didn't have uh, any challenges with this or that I didn't have any propensity towards greed when actually I frequently have to do business with God in order to make sure that my heart stays in the right place when it comes to money because the world is telling us all sorts of stuff. And that's the reason why it's important to remember that you are a steward rather than an owner. Because when you ever begin to believe that you own money, that's when money tends to take ownership over you. And what I know to be true is that money is a great servant, amen? But it is a terrible master, and it can take control of us so easily. And the best way to keep that in proper perspective is to follow God's plan for your finances and return a portion of it back to him. And that's why it's interesting, the Apostle Paul, when he was given some advice in this area, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 said, each of you should give whatever you've decided where? 
in your heart to give. It's a matter of the heart. And so you're not doing it reluctantly, but as a cheerful giver. So that's where you've got to start the heart. Second uh, suggestion I would have would be to gain some clarity. And when I say gain some clarity, just begin to ask yourself, where do I really want to make my investments in this life? Is it going to be something that's temporary or is it going to be something that is eternal? Is it on earth or in heaven? And the reason this is so important is because Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, he said, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to show up. Now, biblical stewardship is the mindset that looks really to align your priorities with God's, which includes looking beyond the temporal, and that's okay, but we gotta make sure we look at the eternal. And I don't think anybody sums this up better than Randy Alcorn. He's written some excellent books on giving, but here's what he says. He says, financial planners tell us, when it comes to your money, don't think just three months or even three years ahead. Think 30 years ahead. But he says the truth is that thinking 30 years ahead is truly only slightly less short-sighted than thinking 30 years ahead. He said Jesus, the ultimate investment counselor, takes it further. He says, don't ask how your investment will be paying off in just 30 years. Ask how it will be paying off in 30 million years. According to Jesus, wise people think ahead, not just to their retirement years, but into eternity Treasures on earth last a short time. Treasures in heaven last forever. Jesus wants you to have a balanced investment portfolio. And his point is, when you make an eternal investment, it's completely secure because you've chosen to invest it with God. Which brings us to step number three, create a plan. When you figure it out, you get a you got a plan because failing to plan, of course, is planning to fail. And the apostle Paul knew that good stewardship uh, requires a plan. And so he offers us one as well as some of the next steps. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he says, you got to have a plan. And so he would say on the first day of the week, that's when you start. And you know, that's one of the reasons why really Sunday is considered by many as the day to give. It's the first day of the week. Uh, the fourth thing we encourage you to do is to take some action. Don't just make a plan, take some action. And there he said, each one of you on that first day should set aside a sum of money. And honestly, this is actually where the rubber meets the road and faith gets demonstrated uh, because if you, don't, if you don't take action, you haven't really done anything yet. And then the final point is just to make sure you're consistent. Don't just start and try it for a little while and give up. And he says, be consistent in keeping up with your income. As your income goes up or goes down, just be consistent. We got to recognize stewardship is a week by week, month by month, year by year commitment requiring discipline and consistency. You can't really ever say, you know what, I tried that once. <laughs> It's gonna to have to be consistent over a period of time. And you know, over the years, I've had some amazing, I've heard some amazing stewardship stories where people listened to, to God's voice in, 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 their, in their hearts and followed in an amazing way. And, and I, keep, I keep being surprised. God keeps doing even more than I could imagine. And I think you'll hear that in our testimony today. I'm Tad Lizeko, and this is my wife, Laura Lizeko. We've been going to ACC, we say for a couple of years, but during the COVID time, it kind of messed up that timeline. So two years is what we're going with. We had gotten married and both Laura and I were like, man, we really just need to get away from here and just really focus on our marriage. So we chose to move to Hawaii. Hawaii is a very expensive place to live. Um, 
and we just, you know, sold everything that we had here, put in our bank account, got to the island with two suitcases, and uh, I didn't work for six weeks while we were there. Laura didn't work, and I was just really freaking out. And, um, and you know, Laura said, why don't we just start tithing and see what happens? And so we did, and I was like, this doesn't make any logical sense. And uh, that, and it just unfolded of God's faithfulness. We were able to go on a missions trip that we didn't even pay a whole lot of money for. Um, and then as we were coming to an end of that chapter of our life, um, you know, we, we were living paycheck to paycheck and Laura one day was looking through our account and she goes, we actually have money in our savings account. And we we're trying to figure out how that all worked out. And the only thing that both Laura and I concluded is that, you know, we just with us tithing and being faithful and just knowing that God's going to take care of our, our physical needs. Um, you know, he kind of just winked and somehow we ended up with money in our account to where, you know, we were able to come back to the mainland and just kind of continue to move forward with um, the financial goals, but also just with the life that Laura and I wanted to build with each other. Um, about 10 years ago, when we had two little kids, we were sitting in a church service. We lived in Nebraska at the time, uh, and it was a stewardship sermon series. And they had a video of an older couple who had grown kids. Um, and they talked about, they lived off of 50% of their income and they, and they gave 50% of their income. And we heard that video and we were both just like salivating in our mouth, <laughs> partly because we had so little money that that was not anywhere even close to an option at that point. So part of it meant that we were far enough along that we could live off of 50% of income. But part of it was like, gosh, what would it be like to live with such radical generosity? And so that really set the framework for us as we moved through family life and different jobs and careers and made choices of what to do and where to live and how to live. We always wanted that to be part of our story on the back end of things that we could live on 50% of what we made and give 50% away. And so because we heard that before we had much money to decide how to use it, it set the framework for the years going forward where we're, we're on track to do that. And, and I think that that will be our story one day, but had we not heard it back then, we would have just let our lifestyle increase with our income and it never would have been an option. So um, I'm so thankful that we got to sit under that teaching a decade ago, uh, because that has been how we've chosen to handle our money. Yeah, and just, a, yeah, like Laura said, it just changes how we make financial decisions on a day-to-day -day basis. Like we were like, ooh, and something new and shiny, but it's like, oh wait, no, we have a goal. We have a, a purpose behind why we want to save our money and make financial decisions that are gonna help us in that. And also with our children, we try to help them think long-term also by our example of having this as the, the standard uh, in our financial decisions. Yeah, I feel like every time a church does a stewardship series, you hear the pastor say, put God to the test, be a Gideon, throw your fleece out. Um, and that has that has played out very true for us. The numbers don't always add up, but we've chosen to be faithful to the Lord and we've never not been able to cover our bills. So um, I would encourage you if you're doubting, if giving is an appropriate use of your funds, it always is. The Lord will pay you back.
so humbled by their story. And God doesn't do that to everybody, but, but he does, he does want to say, you gotta, you gotta trust me. You gotta test me at least with that first part. And so as we often do in a stewardship series, we'll just offer to people a 90-day tithing challenge. You say, wow, 10%, I don't know how, not making it on what I have. But if over 90 days, the next 90 days, you would kind of commit to say, hey, I'll, I'll do that. If at the end of 90 days, we would just offer you the, the, the commitment on our part. If you got to the end of 90 days, you found yourself in a worse place than you were before, uh, you can come to us and just say, hey, I need, I need a refund. I need my money back. Um, because we don't want to leave anybody in a lurch. But that's, that's the part where we, we actually, we, we can put God to the test. But sometimes people just need a safety net if that's, if that's what you need. And you might be looking at your life right now and said, wow, I wish I had started a long time ago or had been faithful for a long time. And I just want to close with one final statement maybe you've heard before. Uh, even, even though you can't go back uh, and, and really start again, anybody can start from where they are and make a brand new end. And so wherever you're at, you can start and do something, uh, see God do something amazing in your life. Let's, let's pray. Wow, God, this, this part of our lives can be such a challenge, balancing it, keeping it straight. Thank you so much for Tad and Laura, for their, um, really their testimony of faith that demonstrates um, really what you've done in their life. And I, I pray there's, there's some folks here I know who gotta be struggling with that, that whole issue and wondering if they could take that step. God, help us to trust you. It really does, it, it changes your perspective on life. And so I, I pray for all of us that we would want to live in that place and that space where we get to see your provision and experience your blessedness and your goodness to us. Father, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. I want to ask you to...